the Healthy Podcast, where we invite you to invest in your well-being and unlock the secrets of vibrant health, peak performance, and wellness. Join us, Sebastian Mirau and Johannes Kettelhout, co-founders of Australia and New Zealand's leading wellness company, as we dive deep into the science, strategies, and stories that empower you to live your healthiest, happiest life. Whether you are a CEO, high achiever, entrepreneur, elite athlete, health enthusiast, scientist, or self-improvement seeker, together we will explore the cutting edge of biohacking techniques and holistic health practices with world-class experts that optimize your mind, body, and spirit. With each episode, you will walk away with practical and actionable steps to integrate in your daily life. Are you ready? Let's elevate your well-being. Thanks for coming, Dan. I'm so excited to talk to you because I think with the experience that you had of going really all in of using your body and your brain and all, all your capacities really to achieve, um, you know, sports goals, I, I'm sure it gave you a really deep insight of what might be missing in that industry and in general in society to really keep up with, you know, what I guess would would be described as a really high performing human, yeah, and, and also a balanced human. And, and I'm sure you had, had quite a journey to get to the point where you found the right tools and the right approach to, I guess, support all sorts of people, all, all different walks of life to, to get to that point. Would I, is that sort of like going in the right direction? Yeah, absolutely. We're all a work in progress, aren't we? So, um, you know, for me, I, I took a liking to sport really early on. Um, started playing soccer at I think seven or eight years of old in, in sort of organized sport um, and then yeah played for a good 10 years of that and made some rep teams and, and found my way into footy so uh, AFL so Aussie rules um, and then and yeah it took me interstate I grew up in Tasmania moved to South Australia you know studied a sports science degree and yeah, I think you, you get into your early 20s and you get to a level of, of footy and uh, what might be considered competence in life and you think oh, okay I'm going all right here like and then, you know, as the time rolls on, you start to discover more things and develop more self-awareness and realize how naive you were. And, um, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's an absolute journey, man. Like, and, um, I mean, you probably summed it up really well in terms of why we do what we do now with our business in that um, it's, it's providing an experience, an opportunity for others to self-discover some of these things um, earlier in the piece so they can put into good effect um, during, the, during their careers but also outside of sport, like in, in business and, and in school as well. So maybe we talk quickly or, um, already about what you're doing now, and then we sort of unravel and go a little bit back, sort of how you, how you actually figure that, that out, because I think that's often where people see themselves and realize sort of, okay, this is the missing piece, and here um, I can actually you know, jumpstart this or, or really uh, sh shorten the learning by working with you. So if you don't mind, sort of like, yeah. what are you doing now? Yeah, of course. So we'll run a business called the Adaptability Movement, um, which is actually just going through the process of um, coming in under another brand called Driven From Within. Uh, and as part of that, we offer three main program offerings. So we have our Adaptable Sports Academies, which is working in clubs, um, professional sporting organizations, so amateur clubs as well. Uh, and what we do is we, we lead like teams and, and lead us through a process of that self-discovery, providing play-based experience of how do we test ideas? How do we become more self-aware, um, more capable, more competent, and more coachable in that environment. Or if we're leaders, well, how do we become the catalyst for that within our, in our organization? So we do that 
with the Adaptable Sports Academies, we run um, another uh, program called Greater Me, and there's a number of offerings under that as well, and that's our schools-based um, product. And so we, we're essentially doing the same thing, but it's not limited by sport. So we're not, we're not having to have sports people in there or people that are sort of, you know, potentially sort of fit athletes, but um, it's an opportunity for disengaged kids or prefects or even um, primary school leadership to be able to lead through a similar experience of that self-discovery of how to become more self-aware, how do I um, have more conviction in my decisions, um, emotionally regulate things better, uh, you know, become more adaptable um, and, and just competent in, in day-to-day life. So we feel like we're navigating and co-creating our own existence, right? And then we've got the the guiding principles of leading teams. And that's one which is uh, working with leadership teams, both in executive teams in schools, you know, leadership and um, across corporate organizations as well. Very cool. So would you say most of your tools are psychologically coming out of the psychological area or is it a mixture out of, out of quite a few different things? Yeah. It, so it's that social and emotional type learning for sure. Like it's, um, I guess, you know, we only know what we know and sometimes we know a little bit about what we don't know, but it's the stuff that we don't know that we don't know, which is where all the opportunity for growth comes from. And so we're, again, out there trying to be the catalyst for, for the discovery of that. Um, and it's just adapting it to a different environment in, in terms of how we influence that group of people. Um, yeah, like it, it's something we, we care deeply about. We've, we've gained a lot out of it ourselves by being more mindful and adaptable in everything we do. And And you mentioned psychology. Well, yeah, it is underpinned by acceptance and commitment therapy, which is something that I've spent a bit of time on as well, Um, you know, becoming more competent in that. Gotcha. um, And then developing into a really practical and experiential, um, you know, way of delivering that to to a group of people. So how did you get into that? That's quite a specific thing. So I I would... I would argue probably (laughs) if someone really looks into these types of tools and and eventually helps others... There must be a problem that you needed to solve for yourself, I guess, at one stage, right? <laughs> yeah, look, I think that's probably fair enough. Um, I, I probably grew up, well, I did. I grew up as a very insecure teenager. Um, I felt like I didn't feel accepted or like I fit in in high school and that kind of thing. Um, and so for me, it was always trying to prove myself, trying to prove my worth to people. And, you know, it, it became kind of a blessing and a curse because it would drive me to, to new heights and to, you know, be a high achiever in a lot of areas, but it would also um, somewhat repel, you know, connection with others because everything kind of felt like a competition, I guess. Uh, so for, for me, it's, yeah, it's, it, a lot of it comes from that um, introspection, like it's, it's looking inwards and kind of going, well, I'm not satisfied with this and how can I evolve myself further and, um, you know, develop better connection being, probably my top priority as, as a value is, is connection with others um, and connection with myself, connection with my environment. So to, to do that, it's like, well, what tools do I need? What do I need to test? You know, how do I expand my, um, my knowledge and, and um, experience to be able to both do that better for myself but then to share it with others? Gotcha. So, so did that happen while you were still professionally, uh, a professional athlete or did that happen afterwards in retrospective when, when we, we look back sort of on your career as, as, as football player? Yeah, look, like I said before, it's a work in progress. So I would say there's iterations of, of me over time and there's probably, you know, key points within that journey where I've had a, a challenge and throughout that challenge I've then had to 
go more into that reflective state and sort of then, you know, understand a bit more about myself and how I become that. Um, one of the, the big definitive moments in my life was um, I had a career-ending ankle injury uh, playing football in 2012. Uh, didn't know that it was career-ending. Had, um, you know, a month of conservative rehab, six operations mm-hmm. over uh, nearly two years and was left incapacitated where I couldn't walk without mm-hmm. pain and couldn't run, couldn't jump. Like, you know, quality of life was, was heavily impacted. Uh, so I, I would say that that's, you know, throughout that experience, there was deep reflection. There was, you know, some mental health challenges. Um, there was, you know, the opportunity to kind of really drill down on on who I could rely on and, and maybe, you know, others that, that weren't present in that journey. Um, and, you know, what did I need to do to sort of feel competent and capable in my own life um, and to see hope in the future rather than, you know, feeling like, geez, I'm 29 years of age and have I have I already ascended to my peak and, and is this it for now? Is it a slow, slippery dip for the rest of rest of my days? Because yeah, to me that wouldn't have been satisfying. So um, if I can give you just a brief introduction to what adaptability is to me, given its formative to, to what I do, is um, a lot of people ask or have heard the word resilience in the particularly in the last four years, um, and a lot of people have had it offered to them as a solution to their problems, and many of them have found that that hasn't been sufficient to to be able to um, help them feel content with their lives again and so i would say that you know there's a spectrum that we need to go through and, and i think being transparent about that is really important so resilience is that first thing that first step that says that i'm going to stay in the game it's, it's a thing that is um i guess for lack of a better word it prevents or it delays failure right failure is only final and fatal when we stop so resilience is the thing that keeps you in the game we move on to perseverance or persistence or grit or whatever you want to call it. And, and there's been a lot of emphasis put on you know, that as well. And I would say that's useful. That's where I spent most of my, my life as a, as a soccer player, as a football player, as, you know, in sport. Um, and that is that, that narrowly focused mindset towards a goal. Um, and, it, and it can be really useful, but it can also be really harmful in that um, when we're too rigid around how we engage with that persistence and perseverance, we become... Um, you know, frustrated, there's, we meet resistance um, and we tend to really sort of almost um, implode like. And, and so, you know, we've got to move beyond that as well. And, and what I say to people is, well, adaptability is the infinite possibility that exists beyond that. So if resilience is this temporary finite, you know, backup mm-hmm. store that we use to, to keep us going in, in times of need, in times of stress, then adaptability is the infinite possibility of what what could be, what comes next. Like, how else could I do this? And you know, a lot of the time, people will need a challenge to to be able to reveal that to themselves. It's it's not something where we're taught about in school necessarily. It's not something we're often gifted by others. So, you know, what we've tried to do is is create an environment for how can we be a, cha- a challenger to that. How can we use tools like constraint led learning, which is um, it's a tool that's used in skill acquisition to be able to introduce um, uh, like barriers, challenges, to take away comfort um, and to rapidly sort of shift back and forth with those interventions so that someone has to sit in discomfort for a while. They have to, you know, problem solve and work their way through that. Um, and there's an opportunity to reflect and become more aware of how they respond to, to those types of challenges. What are the, those typical challenges that, that you see with your, your clientele? Yeah, look, uh, I think the biggest one in sport would be putting pressure on themselves. I just being a high achiever, there's so much um, mm-hmm. self judgment, and 
and it really becomes disabling in terms of optimal performance. So, and it, it, it's not exclusive to sport, but it, it's certainly a key theme. Um, connection, like what we've seen over the last four years, is that that isolation that's occurred with um, all of the different things around, you know, social distancing and withdrawal from sports and um, community sort of experiences. So. Um, re reestablishing that connection and, and demonstrating to people, you know, how you can be a catalyst for that, how you can um, develop deeper um, and more meaningful connection with with yourself and with others. Um, so I think that's that's really important as well. And and I think the other thing is there's a real risk aversion, like within society and the way that we approach new things and change. And and the world is going through rapid change at the moment. And and the first thing that we need to be in my opinion, to be aware of is is how do we respond to a perceived threat or, or how do we respond to change? And most people will sort of drop into that fight, flight, freeze type uh, mindset of, you know, I'm either, I've got to take action, whether it's informed or not, I'm doing it, um, you know, or I'm paralyzed by, by maybe fear or not knowing what to do and not wanting to make a mistake, or I'm going to get out of here because I just can't cope. And so bringing some awareness to what people to, right. like tend to default to has been really helpful um, in generating some self-awareness around, cool, I've noticed that. I've also now had some experience with using some tools to be able to ground that, to get back to more of an emotionally grounded state. And then I've got the opportunity to see or, or the chance to see the opportunity and change and where can I utilize that to, to in a more helpful way. Yeah, yeah. I, I guess the, the great thing about this topic is that it, or the sad thing, depending on how you want to look at it, is, is that, you know, everyone knows it in some <laughs> ways. You can go all the way to, you know, the CEOs yeah. and, the, you know, the, those you know, high achievers there, eight players that really, you know, want to do, you know, always more because, you know, there's never quite enough, which means there's a constant, yeah, yeah. certainly not adaptability, but one, like, you know, they, they're looking for resilience, but, but that's probably not really where you want to get to. And then, you know, you go all the way to people uh, that look up the kids, you know, like, like you know, stay at home, home moms they would have the same problem in a sense because if you have that mindset of you really want you know you really want to drive and and want to get to want to get it make it perfect and so on then at one stage i think you you will run into multiple thing, uh, places you will run into these challenges where i can see when you use the word adaptability that's very different because it it means that your true north is allowed to be changed as well correct but like rather than just going, 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 it's like yeah, 100%. questioning sort of like what is this really about or how can I really add the most value to the team if, yeah. you, speak, uh, if you speak those sports, for example, right? Yeah, I mean, we often hear that we've got, we ought to find more balance and it's like, well, we're supposed to be a high achiever here and a high achiever there and so the, the balance is fluid. Like balance is something to be navigated and, and to adapt to. So, yeah. Right, right. So if... If I think about sport in particular, coming back sort of to your background, I guess it's a really limited time that you can be really in that profession. And and I don't know when you said, you know, like late late 20s is when your injury happened. I don't know how much longer you, you could go for that. But um, if I think about many other professions, you know, you have at least longer to figure it out. But I also imagine that it would be the same story that people rather burn out or completely fail before they really realize what is needed there. And, and so my question that I love to ask, um, you know, specialists like yourself is like, when, how do we realize that we have a problem? And how do we realize it earlier than when it's, you know, everything, 
thing is, you know, on shaky ground and, and you know, you, you really, you, you're in, um, you know, emergency mode. How, how do you, where, how do you see, you know, the, the smoke before you actually realize, you know, before, before it becomes a fire? Yeah. So, uh, like, I guess the simplest answer to that is we need to stop and reflect. So we need to get back to, to slow thinking and to invite that time into our lives and, what I've noticed is that we're, we're living in a, a hyper-vigilant society where we're always looking out for danger. We're always trying to fill that space with something. There's, a, there's always a distraction that, that meets our need. And so to be able to recognize those things in ourselves further, to then obviously plan for it, to, to be able to attend to it, to nourish ourselves, we have to have slow thinking. We have to have slow time. So the way I describe it to people that we work with is we generally have three states of of um, being in terms of we, we're either in the thinking mind, the doing mind, or the being. Um, and the thinking is that, you know, it's the thinking about the future or it's reflecting on the past, um, but it, it's captivated by it. It's taking you out of the moment. It's the self-judgment. It's the analysis. It's, it's where we're spending most of our time, even when we're feeding in those distractions. Then there's the doing. The doing is the sport. It's the music. It's the, you know, the opportunity to sort of narrowly focus on something and, and, be in perpetual motion um, and it, it's relieving like it, it's an outlet for people and it, and it helps but if if we're just ping-ponging back and forth between those two we're never gonna gonna slow down and, and be satisfied we're never going to generate true sort of self-awareness and and contentment in quiet and stillness and so then there's the being and the being is that mindfulness piece which is around how how do we get to a place where we can just be comfortable with with right now and know that the only thing that exists is right now and so therefore like that's where creativity is born that's where you know we get to regenerate that's where we get to sort of look inwardly and and notice what's going on with our bodies and, and with our you know mental emotional state and therefore we've got the first you know step in action to then be able to do something about it so my assumption would be that the being state is the one that is missing for most people or that, that is commonly missing and, and creates therefore the challenges that we see in our professional life or in our development or whatever you look at. Yeah, look, I'd agree with that. It's, it's the one place. So the, one of the common words that we hear, particularly from young people, is they're bored. And so there's this fear of boredom. And, and boredom, like when you start to explore that, is, is basically just stillness. Wow like not having something to occupy their mind, which, you know, they want to either be, they want to be in that doing state because a doing state, state helps them escape to thinking without having to then notice and feel what, what they're experiencing. So, yeah, absolutely. The being, the being sort of state is, is the one that we're looking to, to gently nurture people into more of. So, so just to, to go back to the, the being and the boredom, so are you saying that, Kids don't have the mm. tool or don't have the understanding what stillness is. Like, what is it about stillness? Like, I, I, I heard that boredom is, is quite good for kids. I, I have a few kids. And, um, you know, and, and when, yeah. luckily they don't use that word a lot. But, but I'm aware that when that is, I feel quite comfortable with it because I believe something is coming out of this boredom too. But there's an issue with it by the sounds of it, you said. Yeah, look, I think if we're to acknowledge that this generation has grown up very differently to even what we did, you know, during during our sort of childhood, in, in that there's just constant um, there's constant distractions, there's constant opportunity to sort of lose yourself in something, and you know, often that's social media, 
Um, you know, there's all the streaming services that exist now. There's gaming. There's all of a lot of it is digital. Um, you know, devices have really become a thing that just occupy our attention. And and you know, I'll give the simple example of like when you go to a you know maybe a sh- shopping center with your friends, and one of them goes to the toilet, but you're not going with them. Well, often what we see is the person that's not going in is pulling their phone out to distract themselves. So rather than sitting there or standing there and just observing their surroundings, you know, noticing what they're feeling, you know, reflecting on the, a moment or an experience they've had throughout the day, it's, it's constant sort of input. Um, and it's, it, it, it just throws our nervous system out of balance. Uh, we don't get that opportunity to sort of drop back into that parasympathetic state, that rest and recovery um, that allows us to, to regenerate. And so we're again we're in this hyper vigilant state, which means that we're sort of overstimulated a lot of the time without the chance to come down from that. So boredom, like you said, is a great opportunity to navigate that. However, there is such an aversion to being bored because of the risk of feeling what I'm feeling, which I've been endlessly escaping until that point. That that is fascinating. That that get goosebumps listening to it because. It makes so much sense to me. And, and it's also so obvious when you explain it. Like there's not much to like if, if we just accept that we need to reflect and, and be, you know, and, and, and be aware of our body, of our feelings, of, of all of that. And if we take that away by a simple thing like, well, you know, being just always on streaming, gaming, social media, you have it, then this, this goes of course, there's, there's no space for it. it. That makes a lot of sense. I, I would probably think the only time when that really would then happen is, I guess, when we go into bed. But, you know, then we are also on the, our devices there. I'm, I'm guilty of that quite often, too. So right. would you then say that? So what, what's, yeah. what, what happens then? What, what happens then when people actually don't, like, they almost must have a backlog of development, of, of, of figuring out who they are, especially when you look at about young people, uh, talk about young people, yes? Yeah. I uh, absolutely agree. So it's like this damn wall, like this, this like thing, this temporary barrier holding up all of those emotions. And, and that, that's where the aversion comes from because there's such a fear of that when, when I let go, when I allow that in, then it's this tsunami, this overwhelm of stuff that I haven't allowed myself to feel. Um, and so that, that's where it's the art in what we do, I guess, in, in that we, we're trying to create safety around the experience that we're providing people. So that's not to limit their experience. That's just to allow them to, to be more open, to be more reflective. And, and to do that, we have to provide them with a balance of, of fast thinking and slow thinking experiences so that they get a chance to do um, and find safety in the doing. And then just these little micro snippets of, of being and reflecting. And, and what we do is we, we do that in you know, one-on-one. We do it in small groups. Um, we don't spend too long doing it initially, but it's introducing that opportunity to, to reflect and to have someone there to bounce that off, um, you know, to bring that to life through um, verbalizing it um, and to relate to someone else in that moment as well. And, and as we go through like our program experience, it's then generating more and more of those opportunities. Um, and what we, what we see is that sort of this revealing of, of who is within um, this safety and in, in being a little more vulnerable and, and more open and, and once we get to that point, there's this connection that's really starting to develop. Um, you know, I would say that throughout my experience of, of those six operations and, and I guess the challenges that I faced is that, you know, the more that I allowed myself to be vulnerable and, and to open up to others, the more I was rewarded with deeper connections. So um, that was, you know, 
the gift that, that you know, such a challenge brought to my life. Is it as basic as that if I would be a person that is constantly on, on my devices and uh, someone does something really kind to me, let's say my grandma made a cake for me or something like that, and initially I wanted to actually say thank you or initially I thought, oh, that was a good idea, but that thought was quickly replaced by just whatever happened on my screen. And then I never really mm. acknowledged or even realized that someone in this case, my grandma did something kind to me. Is it, is it that type of thing? So that the emotion never hit me. The rec I never realized that someone was caring with, for me. Is, is, is that mm. sort of like an example of it? I think, yeah, look, it, it kind of, it kind of is. Um, it's a thing that's pulling us away from, from mindfully living our lives and from connecting with others. So it's, it's intervening on, on true connection with both ourselves and, and others. Um, so uh, one of the tools that we use are called bookmark moments and we introduce this very early in any experience that you have with a new group and a bookmark moment is something, it's a term that I coined with my wife uh, back in 2016 when we were getting married and we got all the well-intended advice around, you know, how crazy the day was going to be, how you weren't going to get a chance to, you know, um, talk to each other, um, to try and make the most of it and just be present. <laughs> it's like, As, as you unpack that, you go, well, how do I be more mindful? How do I be more present? When do I do that? How do I do it? Why am I doing it? And there's all of these um, unaddressed sort of barriers to actually being able to action it. And so what Kim and I talked about was, well, like, let's, let's make it bookmark moments throughout the day. So take something which is a very visible, um, you know, people can picture it. They can, you know, I can take that and I can place that in my book and that holds my place. Well, we're just doing the same thing with a memory. And so what we would do is we'd invite someone else into that space. So with that being on our wedding day, that's my wife. And so each time that we caught ourselves being present in a moment, we could then invite the other one into that to record and, and bookmark that moment for later. So it's something we can come back and celebrate and share with each other. So what, what we try to do with a lot of the tools and the activities that we do throughout the experience we provide is to make things accessible to people, to demonstrate that it's, you know, you may not be there now. You might look at the person up in front of you leading you through this experience and go, well, that's not me. I'm not them. Um, my life is different. And it's like, well, all of these things, they're the universal tools. And it's just about how you choose to engage with them and which ones you utilize to be in a helpful way for yourself. Gotcha. So just speak to me a little bit more about the practicality of it. So you just mentally make a note of like, this is a really special moment. Is that what you mean by inviting someone else in it? Or how, how mm. would you say? That yeah, absolutely. So, Yeah, so, um, you know, I, I, there's moments throughout a day where I'll just, I'll catch myself. I've, I've got quite um, proficient at doing this for myself and I'll be like, cool, like I'm in that moment now. But I really love it bringing someone else into that. So, and particularly within the programs we run, if we've already had that conversation, then I can draw someone's attention to the fact that we're living one of those moments right now. And that, that's something we're sharing together. I can do that in a group situation where I'm making eye contact with one person that I'm talking directly to. And so then it's the habit of doing it often. So we'll t I was talking about this with a colleague today around the little and often principle. And the idea is that it's, you know, this, um, uh, I guess, big shot, big impact type thing. It, it's a bit of a hit and hope strategy. But if we're to create, you know, little micro habits and we're to stack those on top of each other, then it's just the repetition of those that lead to incremental gains. And that will help mm -hmm. us feel like we're in perpetual motion. So, you know, for... For us, it's like how often can we give people the chance to um, reflect on that, to, to notice you know, what they just felt, to, to think back to what 
was a bookmark moment in what they just experienced. And so they get the, the, the um, opportunity to put a timestamp on that so they can come back to that later. Brilliant. I love that. Yeah, little and often. Yeah, there's this whole 1% idea, right? Like if you just get 1% better, you know, incrementally, it, it, it makes a huge, huge difference. Love that. So um, how well is this known? How well is this problem actually known in society, um, especially with, I guess, guess, parents? But if I think about it also, you know, our leaders or people with a lot of responsibility, are they aware of the danger that if they don't do that, they're actually not functioning in the, in the most ideal way and therefore can't be of service and, and, and a team player with others because they actually not really have the full spectrum available to themselves because they shut down quite a bit of that reflection time and of that, uh, what you call being time? Yeah. Look, I think there's a, an awareness and a recognition that things aren't right, that we're not optim um, operating in our optimal state. However, I, I don't think there's um, a recognition of the root cause of that or there's an unwillingness to recognize it. Um, there's, a, there's a saying, and I hope I get this right, <laughs> But it's like don't expect a person to understand something that their job re relies on them not understanding. Let's try that again. So don't expect a person to understand something that their job relies on them not understanding. And so what I mean by that is there's a conflict. Like so we're talking about moving into an era where there's more technology, there's more um, time online, there's all of the efficiency that is supposed to come with that. And yet what we're actually seeing is the opposite of that. We're seeing and experiencing a distracted Uh, mind where constantly sort of pulled away from being in the moment um, and it's impacting our relationship with, with ourselves and others um, and and that brings with it a level of dissatisfaction in in the day-to-day -day experience of life i would probably even say it's dangerous right it's dangerous to society to quite a degree as well if you... oh absolutely it, it's recognizing the risk in in not addressing the issue so we often talk about well there's a risk in trying something new there's a risk in sort of embracing change but what's the risk in not embracing what's the risk in not acknowledging that there could be opportunity in that for us um and i think that we're on the precipice of that like we've got to make a decision one way or the other and and you know my experience of that is that we generally have to make that for ourselves but what we can do is we can model that to others and we can offer you know um support and encouragement to others on their journey and doing that as well Very cool. What's a simple exercise that you could give? Uh, maybe two different types. So, so what would you say to parents they could help their bored kids or, you know, their, their, their distracted kids that, that they could do to sort of get into the flow of actually being? And, and if, you, if you talk about a you know, high-flying executive, how you would you support that person um, to say, look, you know, you need the being state as part of, of, of your life? And, and, and a little sort of hack how they would be able to slip that into their life. So I think, you know, the, the, I'll offer something for sure because I, I want to give your listeners something they can potentially use and hopefully those that are listening to this are, are better prepared for this. I also think there's, there's a real resistance to this in society because, again, we like to step into that and to try something and, and we often need someone's support and encouragement and maybe guidance to, to lead us into this. But one, one of the simple tools that I've found really useful and we use this in our programs and we offer it to people um, to do just what you're saying is to, to go outside, to, to basically remove yourself from all of those distractions, particularly the technological ones. Take your shoes off, get barefoot and just plant yourself on the earth. 
And, you know, if you've got a drink of water there, that's great, like something nourishing and, and, and sort of hydrating and that kind of thing. But the idea is that we're trying to ground ourselves. So both, um, you know, physically and emotionally. And, and just being in contact with the earth, that allows us to do that. So there's, there's many different principles behind that, both Eastern and Western philosophies, you know, both modern day science and, you know, ancient sort of uh, healing practices. But at a fundamental le- level, it's, it's resetting our nervous system. Now, it's not going to happen in a minute because we, we've had this concentrated chronic experience of being attached to um, a device or, or to, um, you know, that um, distracted state. But if we can just go out there and be um, and just stand on the earth for 10 minutes, I'll guarantee you will notice something. Yeah. And that's not really asked too much to, you know, if you, if you would say to someone like, look, you know, it is, I can see you're just too, 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 like, you know, you're an influencer, you're constantly on this thing, on, on the social media and so on. You know, it, it will impact your actually ability to interact with your followership, with your loved ones. And, and recognize yourself and being actually self-reflective so that you actually know where you're at, who you are, how you feel and what you need. I think that what you need is also really, really important. Um, yes. if, if you, you know, it's not too much to ask to just say like these 10 minutes, let it be either the beginning of the morning, you just hold on to your coffee and you just go bare feet or, or, you know, at the end of the day, maybe coffee is not the best idea because that doesn't help your nervous system, but you know, like whatever it might be. That, that <laughs> no, not, not the coffee this time. <laughs> Yeah. You're right. Uh, or, at, or at the end of the day and just making that a habit, I think, yeah, I can see how powerful that is. And that's really not too much to ask. Um, you yeah. Know, no, I think w- one of the other things that we can do to help us create a habit out of that is just to set a timer, like set a timer that every 45 minutes that you're going to go and do that. So rather than waiting and playing this sort of boom and bust game of, oh, I'm irritable, I'm overstimulated or I'm just drained, and then going out to relieve that because really our intention has changed and our intention is really about escaping that feeling rather than allowing those feelings to flow through us. So it's still a useful tool and I I would absolutely use it myself, but if we can create a habit out of that that says that I'm just going to have a time that goes off every 45 minutes and maybe I don't need to take 10 minutes now, I only need to take five. Um, And that becomes something that increases productivity, increases satisfaction with your day. Yeah, creates more yeah. moments. Well, then that's a win. Yeah, yeah. And I think what, what people don't realize is that sometimes you have to slow down to speed up uh, in the sense, I don't know, like when, when I reflect back on the last week, like I was in five different time zones within a week and um, that's not ideal. It doesn't happen often. But it, it was one of those things where there was a lot of physical stress because, because of that. And uh, at the end of the day, I wanted to do it like a quite a, slow task and um i realized that you know i just couldn't get it done and it took 20 30 minutes and so on yeah and you know in the end i think i gave up and said like okay i go to bed and see what i can do tomorrow i think the task took me less than five minutes once i was capable again of doing that and and you know i use this really extreme example but you know it will be the same so when you say every 45 minutes just a five or ten minute break you know the first reaction that even i have is like there's a lot of time during the day where i don't do anything but when you put it in perspective <laughs> and say like, yeah, and then you can actually, yeah. your output will be double because of it. I don't know if you can quantify it, it's beside the point, but yeah. you know, like, but then actually be really, really, you know, refreshed and can do it at that moment. Um, it's actually a really efficiency, an efficiency tool yeah. as, as contra, contra uh, logical. It really seems if, if you don't understand sort of the background of something like yeah. that. Yeah. 
and it's it's just one idea right like the, the whole thing of you know self-experimentation like n equals one is that i go and test it myself and, and i give myself a, a couple of opportunities to see if that works for me and if it doesn't well i find another way so i, I don't do that i get one of my um, colleagues does that like so he'll you know get off his um, computer he might do some stretches in the office or head outside um, for me, I just catch myself and I, I notice it more because of I've made a habit of that over time. And there's times when I don't yeah. do that well. That's the other thing to recognize, to be self-forgiving and to, you know, to accept our imperfections as, as being, you know, uniquely human, being okay with that. Yeah. Um, and that each time that we, we allow ourselves that, it's more likely that we'll look after ourselves better in future. Right. So be adaptable to the situation and, and at hand, right? Absolutely. So, um, would you have you also dove into sort of the, the the body part of things? So, when you talk about adaptability, um, me having sort of more like a wellness background that comes sort of out of the physical, um, do you work with people also on that level that they actually you know ground themselves back into the body? I can see that going outside, you know, going there, foot, foot would fit into that. But but is there more that you sort of have discovered you, that you found yeah. can really switch a switch for people? Yeah, so look, my journey started as, as that part of it, as the physical side of it, as a sports scientist and a strength and conditioning coach and um, very heavily into the wellness side of things, but at, at first, very in the physical form. Um, and so what, what we've done over time is we've evolved that to, to become more holistic and to in, include that physical, mental, emotional and spiritual aspect of, of, of how do we you know, look after and nourish ourselves. So. Um, well, I'm fortunate to have had that experience first because that has given me the tools to then be able to go offer them to others because the physical part is the easiest entry point for most people. It's the least threatening. Um, and so, you know, creating tools that allow someone to experience something in motion by doing something through movement or activity or game-based play, um, that, that can be the bridge between, you know, entering into this space or just, you know, shutting off from it completely. Do you have an opinion on tools sort of, let's say, for, for growing up, you know, like kids, teenagers that you find work better than others? I, I've heard both sides in terms of team sport, not team sport, you know, like something that they self-guided, something that where they have a, have a coach. Like, do you, do you, can you see that one might help better to, to, um, Yeah, I guess to, to balance out the, the, the person than another, or would you say that, that there's pros and cons for both? Uh, look, there's, there's yeah, definitely pros and cons for both, but I would just say test it like and and try both. Like I often played more than one sport at once, um, and what a lot of parents don't understand is that um, doing that is beneficial. So doing that up, up until 14 odd years of age, even if you think your child's going to have a professional career, is beneficial to that likelihood of that happening and that being an outcome. Now, not everyone's seeking a professional career out of it, but that those different environments will teach you different things. Um, you know, a team environment teaches you around social responsibility, around communication skills. There's relatability. There's the opportunity to sort of um, challenge in both a cooperative and a competitive nature. And in the individual sort of scenario where we've got to get comfortable with everyone else feeling like a threat initially because our success you know, is dependent on us being better than everyone else around us in our, in our mind. But then what we come to discover is that if we don't surround ourselves with people better than us, we'll never have anything to aspire to. Um, and so there's a whole host of different kind of emotional opportunities, I guess you, you could say, that you go through in, in each of those. And 
I've been fortunate enough to play a number of team sorts, but also to what I haven't mentioned yet is that following that six operations and two-year break, I came back and, as a discus athlete, as a para-athlete, and went on to a, make a national or two national teams um, as, a, as a para-discus thrower. So right. there was a whole different experience of sport that I went through then as a para-athlete now, as an individual athlete, um, as someone that you know was, was new to a sport again, was having to learn from scratch in um, in a sport that had these really finite outcomes as opposed to the you know infinite kind of possibility that exists in a game of football. Um, and that it led to a lot of frustration, um, but it also gave me the opportunity to, um, to shift that mindset from, from rigid and dogmatic and persistent to, to being more adaptable and to being able to sort of see the opportunity in those things. So I'm, I would say that as an athlete, frustration often influenced my performance um or at least how i felt about my performance and that now sort of you know post-career the thing that's probably been of the greatest um benefit to me is that when i see or when i feel frustration now i recognize it as a gift like i recognize it for what it is which is it's it's bringing my attention to something it's letting me know that i'm not satisfied with where i'm at but that i don't have to grind or push through that i just have to have a little bit more of that being time to then be able to then respond in an optimal way rather than an in a dogmatic, dogmatic and rigid way. That's really powerful. That's extremely powerful. Would you say there is literature on this? I'm, I'm just thinking about like, of course, you know, like ideally, you know, working with you, we'll give, we'll give all the tour and we, we have to definitely mention also how we can work with you. But like overall, like is, is there a particular sort of school, you know, that, that, that is school, a train of like, you know, in a thought school that, that goes with it because I think, That's incredibly powerful. If I think about, I can think about any age group in any any profession or walk of life that would not like anyone would benefit from seeing it as you know this, the 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 obstacle is the way. Which one thing one thing that the Stoics would say yeah. is like the obstacle is yeah. actually how you get there. But like, what would you say is like like a good philosophy to look into to understand that? Because I think if you nail that, life is sweet. Sounds to me like that anyway, because like, you know, like any yeah. challenges that it suddenly, you get, <laughs> as you said, yeah. Yeah. I, w I would say that it's less about doing a course and it's more about um, curious inquiry. So the idea that what, what else is there that I don't know that I don't know? Um, what else is there out there that could be helpful to me that other people have found helpful for them? Um, what can I test? So it, it's more around a mindset of how we engage with learning than it is actually a, a course in learning. Um, the best opportunities that you might be able to find for that is, is things that use that practical and experiential um, learning method, which we're talking about in that we're going we're gonna to go and do something. We're going to go and test this as a concept. We may not even tell you too much about the concept to begin with. We might just allow you to have that experience first and then we'll use the art of reflection and Um, and conversation to be able to reveal the learnings out of that. So Is that cool. too opaque for you? <laughs> no, 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 no I'm, I'm good with that. I'm good with that. And, and I think the concept alone is, is, is so powerful. And, and I have to remind myself almost daily, you know, like, I don't know, like my, I'm a CEO of a company, so normally only stuff comes to me that, that is a problem. Like that, that's my job. Like basically I, I know where this, this whole, yeah. you know, yeah. this company is meant to go to. And, and I monitor this, this is my job. And 
and find things that are not working well. And and I know well that if, if I'm, you know, to your point, if, I, if, I, if I'm balanced, I can, I have much more capacity to deal with, you know, bad news and, and, and big challenges in a much calmer way. But, you know, going that extra step, as, as you described it, and say, like, fantastic, like, this will make me more adaptable if I actually get through this challenge. This obstacle is actually, yeah. you know, like, the more the better sort of <laughs> If you have that mindset, the more the better. That's it's yeah. perfect because you come home and say, like, this was a great day because so many things went wrong and I had to deal with it. And, and I think <laughs> everyone can relate to that in one way or another. You know, yeah. it doesn't matter what you do in your life. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's a big, so, big piece around just accepting where something is out to then be able to respond in the way that we would like rather than not constantly fighting where we're at. I got a lot out of that concept. Thank you so much. That's fantastic. Then, if we if we want to connect with you, um, what are the best ways to to learn more about what you have to offer and how you interact and engage with people? Do you do online courses as well for people who might not be in Australia? Yeah, so the online stuff's in the pipeline. Um, it's something we probably tried to do too early, and it became a distraction from, I guess, us being face to face with people, which is. Um, is definitely desirable, like to be able to, when you're leading someone through an experience. So, um, you know, we work with teams and organizations um, and, and we exist to progress the performance of people and teams. So, you know, to connect with us, you can head to drivenfromwithin.com.au to, to look at all of our um, offerings around, um, you know, executive teams, you know, education and uh, the corporate world. If you're looking, if you're within a school, then it's head to greater me. Uh, sorry, greater.me, which is G-R-8-R.me. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you're looking for, to interact with us in, in a sports scene, then it's theadaptabilitymovement.world. Um, you can also find me on LinkedIn. That's where I do most of my posting. Uh, and that's that's cool. you know, that's the first point, of, I guess, just connecting and learning about each other and, and exploring if there's an opportunity to collaborate. Fantastic. Then this, this has been so helpful. I could talk to you so much more because I can see that you've really engaged with this content quite a bit and really like it. And it's, it's funny, you know, like this doesn't sound like a more uh, particular uh, modality. What this actually really is, it's just like a way of being. And um, I think anyone can, everyone yes. can, can benefit from getting a little bit more like that. I think this is what it's really lacking. And uh, what I also picked up uh, from, from you in the beginning, I picked up on, on, on you saying we will find a point where this becomes way more, important and recognized which gives me hope because um you know at the moment you know you could really focus on like well you know digital world becomes more and more into our face and and you know it keeps going but but yeah by the sounds of it you can see also that this will have a have a turn turning point at one stage when it gets too painful i guess yeah yeah and and i think you know when we're mindful about it we recognize that we have a choice there's a lot of language and a lot of conditioning you know, in our daily experience that says we didn't have a choice or we had to do it because someone else, you know, expected of us, told us to, it was mandated, it was whatever. Um, and so I think just when we, yeah, when we recognize that we, we still have a choice, um, that's powerful. Very powerful. Well, thank you very much for your amazing work that you're doing. Thanks for sharing this as well and also the examples and uh, practical ideas that, that, you know, the audience can trial as well and you know please everyone get in touch with Dan's content I think it's absolutely amazing following him on LinkedIn um, that's Dan Kirk you will find him there easily and um, yeah 
all the best, man. Like, uh, I look forward to see much more and I look forward to also some online offerings because I think you're, you're on the money. This is what society needs. Thanks, Sebastian. I appreciate the, the opportunity to talk to your listeners, mate. We hope you got a lot out of today's inspiring conversation. Please share this episode with someone you know needs to hear it. Whether they are a seasoned health expert or just beginning their wellness journey, these stories of remarkable transformation, success and valuable insights will certainly help empower more people. Until next time, have the best life ever.